You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, queers. Welcome back. This is our final episode of season three and it's episode 12. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folks, both on stage and behind the curtain. For many queers, theater has been an escape, and this podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. Hey, Hera, how's it going? <laughs> it's good. We I can't believe we're at the end of the season. It's been such a wild year. Yeah, it's thinking back to the spring and kind of mapping everything out. Like before, I hadn't even seen Strange Loop yet when this season started. Wow. <laughs> so. Now you've seen it twice? Three times. Three times. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Hoping for I've a seen fourth. seen it three times so. total. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you saw it once uh, off-Broadway, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to tie Trevor Noah with four times. <laughs> Goals in yeah. my life to just tie Trevor Noah <laughs> on most things. On most things. I think this might be the only thing I can actually tie him on. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so we were planning to have an interview for this episode, but queers are busy, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, we we got a lot of yeses and then a lot of we'll talk in January. So yeah. <laughs> season four is already pretty planned out, which is exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like such night and day from the beginning of the podcast when, you know, everyone's like, I'm available, whatever, yeah. you know, and now it's like <laughs> I'm working, which we love. So that mm-hmm. makes us happy. Yeah. Yeah. And we still have plenty to talk about. Oh, always. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and at the end, we'll do a little year wrap up. Um, but first, we saw a couple, well, we saw more than a couple, but there's a couple shows we're going to talk about since we last had our uh, our show roundup. Um, so we got the chance to see Anne Juliet. Harold, what, what were you thinking going into the show? I was excited. I I had seen exciting things about it on social media. I knew there was like a queer non-binary character in it and I was uh, that's a person of color. Uh, and so I was super excited to see how that um played out and I this was like the music of my adolescence and what yeah. I grew up really loving, so I was excited for the score too. It's such like millennial bait. Like, I don't even think I realized how much so until I got in there and I was not upset about that. Oh, no. (laughs) I I mean, overall, I'd say I had a great time and I would see it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think um, like when I was, I don't know if it had just opened or was about to open, but like way, way back 2019 when I was in London for Come From Away, I think it was about to run I forget but everyone all I heard about it was it's really a fun time you should see it so I feel like that <laughs> the, that didn't convince me enough to do it so hopefully our conversation will en- enlighten people a little bit more of like why it's fun and why sure. they should see it <laughs> yeah and it is a jukebox musical it's all the music from Max Martin uh with a book by David West Reed but I would say this is probably one of the most enjoyable jukebox musicals I've ever seen yeah 
I think it might be the the best one. I'm trying to think. Uh-huh. I don't want to say the best, but one of the best because what I loved about it so much that I'm still thinking about, and one of the reasons I would go back to see it again, is how well the lyrics are actually tied to the story. So it feels mm-hmm. more like traditional musical theater. Like uh-huh. the, the songs are not just asides like you know this song this is so fun it's like this song is actually propelling the story forward to the point where they even changed some lyrics to help that yeah yeah I'd say there's definitely some moments where it really didn't work for me but Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about later but yeah overall I, I agree I think like this feels very different from like Jersey Boys where it's trying to really like tell the story of the artist and it was really refreshing to like not have that like a uh, standard to meet, I guess. And so it's a retelling or it's a telling of Romeo and Juliet if Juliet had not died and what would happen afterwards, right? So it's a whole original mm-hmm. story. And that kind of made it feel like a new original yeah, musical. Yeah, agreed. It yeah. felt like totally new because you had no idea what was going to happen next you know it hit a lot of the Shakespearean beats of like lovers entangling and disentangling and you know people being in the wrong place wrong time but yeah like all still very new concept yeah and I they tried to really put like a feminist twist on it as well I'd say Mm -hmm. which was kind of at the level of like I was like what six is of like kind of girl power-y um, sure. that I wish could have gone like a little deeper, but it was fine. Yeah, the, the girl power like felt very mo- like when we were kids, <laughs> like yeah. vibe of girl power. You know what I mean? Wasn't like kind of modern day, more um, nuanced <laughs> look yeah. at that. But um, I mean, but it was being delivered by Betsy Wolf, so I have very few mm-hmm. complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I oh the love of Betsy Wolf just grew exponentially. I already loved her so much. She's so good. And like I feel I can't believe someone else played this role already, right? Because it yeah. feels like they just made it for her. That's what it felt mm-hmm. like. I really appreciated how comedic she got to be. She I she's not like a typical ingenue, and I'm so glad that they she got to showcase that. And mm-hmm. you know, of her voice is gorgeous, of course. I will say I don't, I wish they hadn't had her sing a Celine Dion song for, as her like 11 o'clock number because she's not Celine Dion and that's hard to, to compare. Oh yeah. I like forgot what she, yeah. She's, I mean, she's still <laughs> knocked it out of the park, but you're right. If they give it her something that like she could clearly, you know, yeah. do better than the recording artist, it might've been better. Yeah. Um, she's the best written character too. Definitely. She just has such a, like, a musical theater voice compared to, like, a pop diva voice that I think yeah, it just fell off to me. And that that hit a couple times. I feel like that's inevitable, but not as, like, I'm for me anyway, not as um, kind of off-putting as it was in Moulin Rouge, where people were actually, mm-hmm. like, like, when I was laughing at the song inclusion, it was, like, with the characters, you know, uh-huh. mostly, rather than, like, oh, this is a weird bad choice, you know, <laughs> which is how I felt about Moulin Rouge quite a bit. Um, mm, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe one day. I mean, it's uh. it's still a fun experience. It's just the, the music is not as artfully put together as it is for this show, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are definitely some moments where I'm like, oh, this doesn't work with these singers. <laughs> with the first time Paolo Zott sang, um, I think it's Firework or Teenage Dream, Teenage Dream, <laughs> with a duet with the <laughs> the nurse character, and his his like voice is so gorgeous and this like deep baritone operatic voice that like it's funny at first and then it just kept going and then I'm like no now it's just awkward (laughs) Um, I kind of I thought it was funny though like I I felt like it was it it was kind of like man this guy has a beautiful voice and I'm sorry that we're all like laughing at it but (laughs) it did feel like he was kind of in on it too it's true his second song I thought was gorgeous um Mm -hmm. did he sing shape of my heart yes Yeah. Yeah, yeah That I thought that was beautiful. And that song, too, was like one of the many instances where they took something, you know, most of these are Max Martin pop songs. So they're like very traditional, like pop love songs. 
but like that was for his son right that was the context of that song Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so I thought there were some cool moments where they they showed like the different ways that you could relate these songs to like the real world so Mm -hmm. or whatever this world is that was a thing I kept getting confused with I'm like where are we (laughs) what time period is it but it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah can we talk about the maid character yeah I know Lucy had a lot of ideas about that too that yeah well she told me on the train but go ahead (laughs) no I thought it was it was exciting to see the nurse character be a woman of color who had a name and who was much more developed than just like Juliet's nurse maid yeah and was like um, hot it was yeah like sexy yeah. yeah i i felt weird about the power dynamics there's okay we're gonna talk spoilers right so mm-hmm. i felt weird about the power dynamics between her and paolo's character who was like her former employer and also former lover you find out and there was like no discussion about that like i guess it's better that they end up together in act two and she doesn't work for him anymore. But I'm like, Oh, this relationship started in a dynamic that was not okay. Yeah. And it's like, she clearly, I feel like they try to counterbalance that with like, she clearly has a lot of like power over him because he's like obsessed with her, but like, Mm. it's still, there's a lot about her that feels that you want filled in. Like I'm also confused on like, her accent choice too like why is she the only character besides him his he has this like over-the-top french accent that seems like it's there for comedy right Mm -hmm. but i hope that hers isn't there for comedy because it's like uh i I don't even know how to describe it like jamaica bahamas like regional accent and i'm yeah go ahead sorry oh i was just looking at her instagram and it does seem like she has an accent in in life so that might just be like got it okay he speaks so that also made me feel better it's Um, a pregnant thomas jefferson situation (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i it does sound a little i don't know because i was just watching some of her instagram stories and it doesn't sound as like intense but it just might be because it's not like a heightened theatrical Mm -hmm. um you know setting uh i thought they were gonna get into um imperialism and colonization at one moment because at one point uh she speaks french and juliet's like i didn't know you spoke french and she's like well and it's like a mystery moment and i'm like oh we're gonna talk about colonization and imperialization of like wherever she's from and the french and that is not exact that is not at all what was (laughs) That moment was about. Yeah, I don't know what that moment was in service of. Like, ooh, adults can be surprising. Like, I don't understand what that was there for. It felt like, yeah, it felt like a promise of a deeper show that doesn't exist here. I mean, I think it was supposed to hint that, like, she was in France and then she had this, like, former lover and former life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I really, yeah, I was really excited for a second and then let down. But it's okay. Yeah. She does have a pretty incredible speech in the second act that I'd like Ooh. people actually stopped and applauded for. That was really amazing. That was mm-hmm. impressive. Um, also, her um, singing "Perfect" to Juliet, yes. I, I cried. <laughs> yeah, that was so yeah. moving. Yeah, their relationship was really cool, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. I it, it just felt very like genuine that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like to see a woman of color sing that to another woman of color. And like that was very, yeah, that was very moving. And I felt like rare to see on Broadway mm-hmm. in a musical. Yeah. Pass yeah. the Bechdel test. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that song too from, I remember listening to that in high school and being like, ah. <laughs> There is a lot of um, nostalgia moments. I feel like you could kind of, everyone had like a moment during the show where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this song. You know, you hear like the first chords of a Backstreet Boys song. You're like, I know what this is. <laughs> I I found a playlist, I think, of like the songs of Anne Juliet, but like the original. And mm-hmm. I was just listening to that in a car that I was driving the other day. And it was very fun. Oh, I should do that. I should look yeah. that up. Um. 
But yeah, we should talk about May, uh, mm-hmm. the character of May, who is played um, by the actor Justin David Sullivan. Um, and is like Juliet's best friend that was kind of like added into the story early when Anne is doing her like live rewrites with, with Will. So in the script, May enters and, and Will asks like, isn't May more of a girl's name, which we hear once we see the character step on stage. And then Anne says something about how Will is like the original gender bender with, with plays, which is Yes, I guess, but it was mostly because women weren't allowed to act. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't really buy that. It's not like he actively chose to have men play women in his plays. Right. Um, and then Anne says, do you think it's up to you to question May's gender or sexuality? Or do you think be- maybe May is whoever May is and it's really none of your business? So I'm like, okay, May's non-binary. <laughs> yeah, that made me think May is non-binary. But I also was like, but what are May's pronouns? <laughs> Yeah, not established, right? Yeah. <laughs> and not, um, I don't know, we'd have to go through and look, but I don't, I was like listening for it and I don't remember pronouns being used for May, like mm-hmm. throughout the show. And I think like, it feels like this is the general sense of how Broadway is approaching non-binary genderqueer characters right now, where it's like, it's like vague, they're figuring it out, we don't label anybody and I'm like, yeah, that's cool, that's definitely like people's experience, but I'm like, I also just want like, this is a non-binary character and they use they, them pronouns or Z, them, Z, or like whatever, because I just feel like you are just trying to be the safest. Like they're like, oh, we need to leave this open to as many possible casting choices as possible or like as Maybe. many interpretations yeah. as possible. And I'm like, no, I want, I want like clarity a bit. Like, yeah, it just yeah. feels a little bit like a cop out. And also that that line came from, I know that Anne is like the creator in this moment, but that line came from Anne and not from May, you right. know, on their yeah. own saying like, well, maybe it doesn't matter. You know, like if it came from the character, I'd be like, okay, I have a much better sense of what this character, uh, how this character is identifying because they told me, not because mm. <laughs> some woman on stage told me. You know? Yeah. So. Because these characters are being essentially written by Anne and um and Hathaway, Anne the Hathaway. only Anne Hathaway, <laughs> the <laughs> original. And it's like, what does this cis white woman from you know Shakespeare's time period know about you know <laughs> different like gender identity? I, I don't yeah. trust that like she's the expert. She does not. Yeah, and yeah. the anachronisms <laughs> and the like. It's it's like clear that we're supposed to kind of believe that it's during Shakespearean time, but it's also like. I don't know. There's a lot of like little props and asides and things that make it very current. So it exists in another space. That's yeah. I love the costumes though. Costumes are so cool. So great. Very like six reminiscent in times, but just like the combo of like modern streetwear and like Elizabethan clothes was awesome. Yeah. And those costumes were by um, Paloma Young, who did um, the Natasha Pierre costumes, which were also very Mm. like of an old world and also the current world, which I loved. So I did love Justin's performance. I think they're a beautiful singer and a beautiful person and um, it felt really grounded. Yeah. And May's character is just so endearing. Like they're so Mm. earnest and also like so... I don't know. They're they're just so kind to Juliet and like a good friend to Juliet. And it's mm-hmm. it was good to see a character that was like that, you know, knowing all the shit that Juliet goes through. I think she needed a character like May and she needs her nurse to be these grounded, like com- complicated, but like kind people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do need to talk about May's first song. Yes. Uh, they got to sing I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman, the Britney Spears classic. And I was very confused by this. <laughs> um, I'm just like, they really wanted the song in the show, or they're just like, oh, this song mentions gender, so it would be a good song for May. Uh, <laughs> I think that was my assumption is the latter. And like, this is early, right? This is like, what half hour into the show and I was like having so much fun I'm like oh no don't don't yeah. make me not like you and Julia look I'm I'm in you know I'm having so much <laughs> fun and I'm like still not okay with the choice because I I don't know 
I think they just need to pick a lane <laughs> with this character because they keep wanting to be like, maybe it doesn't matter, you know, how May identifies. And they're like, let's give May only songs with really gendered messages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because their next song is uh, I Kissed a Girl. Yeah. <laughs> But like there's so many songs that Max Martin wrote. Why are we picking the two like specific girl? I don't know. And like you know, also, they did a beautiful job. But yeah, and then at the end of um, "Not a Girl," they're like, "But I'm not a girl." So we're yeah, just invalidating the whole song. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the instances where it's like this song didn't do anything to help us understand. Like there's probably another max martin song about like not knowing who you are or like yeah. trying to find the right path that doesn't i don't know yeah it, it, it felt like you know one of the many times where you think the audience is it it, it felt like it could be harmful you know mm -hmm. it, it's like if you have someone coming in who is transphobic or just maybe not really understanding what's going on with that character i mean i didn't either so mm -hmm. and then they're like oh you know this character doesn't know who they want to be and they like can't i don't know it, it just felt like putting that indecision in that character when they feel mm -hmm. so confident and in, in like their identity actually was very conflicting mm -hmm. i was a little confused about the the love triangle that happened between Juliet and Francois or Frankie. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't seem like Juliet was really interested in Frankie or uh, he was not interested in her, but I don't know why then it was like, we're getting married. Yeah. Especially with both of them, like trying to find their own independent paths. It was, mm -hmm. yeah, it made much more sense for Francois to, be with May I mean which is what happens but it's like why do we even take this weird messy route to get there but yeah I mean that is the very Shakespearean structure yeah. right like you said I liked Francois though he was like an endearing character and yeah he was cute yeah I feel like for like a rich guy who's like sad he doesn't want to get married to this person that's like a hard person to find and that I find endearing so <laughs> I feel mm -hmm. like the performer really pulled it off I think it was the performance. The performance is very, like, kind of awkward, nerdy guy vibes. Um, yeah. And he had a great voice, too. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, and uh, another queer character in the show, Romeo. Oh, yeah. And Jackson Walker. Uh, <laughs> you find out, big spoilers, that he is not dead. <laughs> and also, at the funeral for him, Juliet finds all these, like, ex-lovers of his that includes so people of all genders and yeah i love that that was a great start to the play and mm -hmm. i was like oh my god romeo is like the shane of this world <laughs> 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 everyone's just obsessed it was so good and the um, performance i felt like pulled that off i'm like oh yeah i could see how this guy would be like so popular yeah everyone's into him um <laughs> But yeah, I think overall, even with the confusing gender situations aside, it was, it's, it's trying to, how do I want to say this? It's an excellent time at the theater. You have so much fun. And mm -hmm. I think it, you know, is genuinely trying to like create a super millennial experience that is accessible to many people, whether or not it's doing that. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I would go again because the performances were so fantastic. And we also mm -hmm. saw the understudy of Juliet and I'd like yeah. to see who was Zoe. fantastic. Oh my gosh. How is someone better than her? <laughs> yeah. Uh, her name. Uh, we saw Rachel Webb on for Juliet uh, and it seemed like a very last minute uh, replacement. Mm -hmm. And she crushed it. I, oh my God. Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, I was, her performance was, I, I couldn't believe it. I, like intermission, my wife and I were like, how is someone else doing this? It seems like this character, <laughs> you know, this actor has been like living in this forever. It was really good. Yeah, and I love to go back and see Lorna too, so. Mm -hmm. I know Lucia brought up um, 
that she was annoyed that like Betsy Wolf's character has to like save Juliet in the end, which I oh, totally right. see too. Mm-hmm. And I think that also has to do with the casting of that Juliet's a black actress in this production. Um, but yeah, it is very much a vehicle for like Anne to be the hero of the show. Yeah. Lucy was telling me this too on the way home and how it's like, why does, why is Anne like the white, the white savior of this show? And mm-hmm. see, Lucy, you're here even when we don't have you on as a special guest. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> what would you say overall recommend, Harrow? I think so. I think just like going in, knowing it's not going <laughs> to, you know, be the non-binary queer representation you necessarily are like completely looking for, but it is the Broadified version of it for now. Mm-hmm. But it is a good time. (laughs) It's a very good time. Especially if you're into millennials music of the early 2000s. And good choreography and costumes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And then finally, we saw a show yesterday. You Will Get Sick by Noah Diaz uh, at Roundabout's Laura Pell's Theater and directed by Sam Pinkleton. Yeah. And sadly, it will be over by the time this episode airs. Um, but I do feel like this is a play that is going to be making a lot of rounds at regional theaters, colleges, um, cause it's, it, uh, and also I guess we have to say too, cause this is not like explicitly queer. <laughs> we were mostly going to see it because, um, Daniel K. Isaac is one of the stars of the show and, uh, the character of the main character, uh, is queer. Um, I don't know who else is queer involved in the show, but odds are probably someone else. Sure. <laughs> And it it was a lovely bit to know, or it was like a lovely um, layer to know the character was queer, but it also really had nothing to do with it. Like, no, could have been not queer. We could have not known. And it, yeah, it was just some nice like character world building. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like, I feel like this is a companion piece for me this year for American televisions. It's like another Mm -hmm. kind of surreal reality commentary. Um, I think another real joy of it was getting to see Daniel K. Isaac and Linda Lavin together. Like Mm -hmm. what amazing onstage chemistry in like a very different way than you're used to seeing older (laughs) and younger actors interact, you know? Yeah. That like intergenerational, well, summarizing the plot uh daniel's character number one yeah uh the actors are numbered one two three four five daniel's character uh is sick and he's coming to terms with that and uh puts up flyers posters over around the city saying please call me i need to tell you something i'm not ready to tell anyone else in my life yet and i'll pay you first he says forty dollars and then he crosses it out and says (laughs) twenty So Linda Lavin calls and ends up becoming like this pseudo care worker for number one as he's like dealing with his illness and telling people about his illness. Um, And her character is hilarious. She's like going to night school to become an actor. She her age is not stated in the show, but she's Mm -hmm. definitely older. You could say she was a senior and um, she wants her dream is to be Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. And um, it's yeah, it's very that's a very like for her. It's not a joke. You know, like this is her reality. This is her dream. And she's saving up money to get a Dorothy dress to really nail the audition. 
Yeah. And it becomes this like transactional relationship where Linda Lavin's character is taking care of Daniel's character and Daniel's like paying her cash for like every single act she does for him basically. Mm-hmm. And, but you can tell that they're developing a relationship. They care about each other. And, but even by the end, he's like still giving her cash for supporting him. Um, and there, we stayed for the, the post show talk back to, and there were a lot of questions about that of like, why does she continue taking money from him, even though like they're clearly friends now or they care about each other? And like, we, we had talked about how, like, or you, do you want to talk about how, what you were thinking about it? Cause I thought that was really, um, uh, insightful. Yeah, as we were watching it, I thought about this book that um, we read in book club, I think about a year ago, called mm-hmm. Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice. And it's Leah Lakshmi Peepsna Samasina. And there's a part of it where they're talking about like how eliminating the, the like, I'm doing you a favor or, you know, different relying on friends and goodwill and then instead having these transactional relationships can actually be a huge burden off of folks who need care because like you know it's clear what we're both in this relationship for we're both getting compensated and it kind of eliminates the guilt factor so that's what I kept playing um as I was watching this happen because you know the number one's at such a strange crossroads and he you know, has his, his boyfriend has just moved out. We find out he was taking care of him when he was sick. So it doesn't seem like he has someone close to him. And this seems like the way that he's been able to find comfort in being cared for is having that transaction rather than asking his sister or someone else out of kind of guilt or goodwill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the play was like, was a great rumination an exploration of mutual aid and how, we take care of each other and, you know, Linda's character wasn't necessarily disabled or, or identified as disabled, but like she is an elder. And, uh, in the talk back, Daniel said that Linda kept saying like, Oh, disability is something that anyone could fall into at any time, basically. Right. Which is definitely something I've heard in the disability justice community before, like, you know, you could get sick, you could get hurt and instantly be disabled tomorrow. Right. Um, so I do think they were, she was looking at it like mutual aid and, mm-hmm. and, you know, he was helping her monetarily, but also it seemed like she was really lonely too. And so they were both getting something out of that relationship. Yeah. A lot was, out of each of relationships. It was, um, it was ref- refreshing and interesting to see, a relationship where an elder is caring for like a younger millennial person. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I, I was thinking if those roles had been switched, like if Daniel had been taking the money from her, I think it would have had a very different for no reason, like just our own societal understanding of like, Oh, you're exploiting that older mm-hmm. woman, you know, yeah. but like having it flipped, you're a little more understanding of both sides, which that's probably a whole other conversation we could have. Yeah. I was curious, like how Daniel had so much money that he could just be like shelling it out to her like that. Cause yeah. it was like, it was a decent amount of money he was giving her. Um, especially if it was going to become like on a daily basis, that kind mm-hmm. of money. Um, and I'm like, this is talking about capitalism, but I want it to go into that more <laughs> of like, what are the realities of his like medical bills? And, you know, he bought a wheelchair at one point in the show. Like, was that Mm going to be reimbursed? Like, how is he just like have all the funds to like support this, I guess. And he didn't seem worried about money either. I think the way that I read that. And now that you're saying that, I think I should have thought about it more. I thought like, since he, knew it was terminal and he was about to die it was kind of like mm-hmm. the end of what he had so mm-hmm. he was like you know these are if I'm paying you ten dollars to take a sip of water like this is what am I saving for at this point but yeah yeah it wasn't clear how does he have all this money <laughs> yeah because I'm even like if if he's like a young millennial like that would run out so quickly <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> could not afford that <laughs> yeah even like a few months of that i'm just like no what millennial has the savings to do that <laughs> yeah yeah 
I feel like with this show, if you would have told me before I went to see it that there was like a Wizard of Oz metaphor through it, I would have been like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the way that it was done, I actually loved it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw production photos of it. So I had seen the like final, the like bow moments. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I knew the big scene change was coming, and I knew I saw the Dorothy costume, so I kind of knew that was coming. Oh, okay. Um, I really enjoyed the bird uh, metaphor that went throughout the play too, and mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of mentioning of birds, especially like giant birds who are gonna like come pick you up and take you away, and mm-hmm. as you discover that Daniel's character is like turning into a scarecrow, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and, like, maybe the birds aren't going to get him because he is a scarecrow, because he, mm. like, scares them away. I don't know. It reminded and me then, a lot of the Wiz yeah. and, like, the antagonistic uh, relationship the scarecrow has to the birds in the Wiz. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> it it was, like, it took, a, it took me a while to figure out where it was going, because I had not seen the Dorothy mm-hmm. costume, and I was like, oh, this is... Maybe people like start shedding hay because the birds are going to use them to make nests. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is Wizard of Oz." Once <laughs> she started singing "Somewhere Over the Rainbow," um, and then I read I, a review where they were talking about how the other characters are also symbolic of the Wizard of Oz, like huh. the, the other actor who's always like playing characters who are upset or self-conscious or crying is supposed to be like a cowardly lion stand-in. But oh. I didn't really think about that as I was watching it. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't either. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had a, a revelation moment on the train together about the lions, tigers, and bears <laughs> moment in the acting class. That was great. Oh. <laughs> um, Man, Noah Diaz probably thought that was a, here, we'll give them something easy so they can yeah. put it together. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, it did take me a, a bit to like get my footing with the play as well. Just uh, mm-hmm. there, I think especially the narrator part of it. Um, there's, I thought it was Daniel who had recorded like voiceover. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of speaking Daniel's thoughts. It made it feel to me like a not like I was reading a novel because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm getting all the information as if I was like reading his thoughts in a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminded me of some of the, like, the newer games designs, like indie games, where it's like you're reading it and you have to make a choice kind mm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked the narrator because it was so much of the narration was in second person. So it was like mm. very implicating. Um, mm-hmm. And I think because Daniel's illness was unnamed and so vague, like the the openness of it helped you you could put your own specifics into it to find your story and experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was kind of genius because it's relatable to everyone, whether it's yourself or someone you know. You know, it was really easy to, like, put your your layer on top of the story. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely thinking about, like, my worst fear case scenario of, like, what if this happened to me or, like, my loved ones or, you know, like, I was actually just having a conversation with my friend Sam about this uh, right the day, three days before we saw the show of like, oh, who are the people who we feel like we could call on if we got hit by a bus tomorrow and needed like intense care for a prolonged period of time Um, and how hard that, how difficult capitalism makes that for us. Even the people who we would like absolutely show up for, like how much we still people still have to live their lives because of capitalism yeah and how difficult it is like even with things like family leave like you know if we tried to do that for each other we couldn't mm-hmm. we couldn't you know even though yeah. like we're connected a lot i'm connected with you a lot more than family members and but because of the legal system like i couldn't take family leave to help help a good friend and yeah, yeah. and who does that like how many people does that leave out without community? Um, yeah. You know, the folks who are not in nuclear families or are not connected with their parents because they're queer or trans or whatever, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, the people who that's hurting the most. And the show title is like a promise, right? You mm-hmm. will get sick. So it forces us to all think of this because 
we will. All of us will get sick at some point, whether that's, you know, scarecrowitis or otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's weirdly, it's a weirdly light show for how heavy the topic is. Yeah. And it had a lot of humor in it. That was great. Mm-hmm. And I think it was definitely needed because it is such a heavy, dark topic. Um, mm-hmm. And the cast was, was great as well. Yeah. And shout out to the roundabout education team for a great talk back after that. Um, I have talk back anxiety cause I don't know what questions <laughs> people are going to ask. And it, it definitely like enhanced my experience of the play, getting to hear more about it. Yeah. They set up some really great ground rules about, you know, what is appropriate to ask at, especially ask, not comment on, um, mm-hmm. to the actors. And I thought, it, you know, the questions, yeah, were definitely the most questions and like relevant questions I'd ever heard of the talk back. Yeah, it was great. So sadly you can't go see it, but, um, I feel like it'll be around. <laughs> You'll mm-hmm. be able to, you can also read it. I bet it would be a very fascinating play to, to read. Definitely. Okay. So just in time for the holidays, whatever holiday you celebrate, um, we wanted to share with y'all our action of the ep, which is trans Santa. So this was founded in 2020 by India Moore, Kyle Lasky and Chase Strangio. And trans Santa was born of a desire to center trans care, joy and giving at a time of escalating violence and attacks on the trans community. TransSanta is a mutual aid social media campaign that connects anonymous gift givers with trans youth who are unhoused, in foster care, or otherwise without crucial support they need to thrive. TransSanta exists to show trans youth that they are loved and supported and that they have a family of people around the world who care for them, believe in them, and want them to succeed. Research shows that trans youth with supportive families have a 52% decrease in suicidal thoughts. TransSanta aims to broaden our understanding of family and structural support so that our entire community can experience affirmation and love, even when those close to them may hurt or fail them. Ultimately, our capacity for love, care, and connection can disrupt some of the structural limits on our survival opportunities and create more space for people to thrive and continue rich trans legacies of social and political transformation. And there are three ways you can support them. You can buy gifts directly for trans youth with their gift registry links. Donate money to TransSanta and support the future of the project at transsanta.com slash donate. And comment on posts from trans youth showing support. So definitely recommend if you do want to give to TransSanta, you check out the link on their Instagram where they've shouted out lists that haven't gotten as many donations. So you can give love to to those trans youth who who may not have received a gift yet. So it's also just really wonderful to look through the lists. And I don't know, as a high school teacher, I was, it was cool (laughs) to see like what, you know, kids are interested in and looking at and, um, yeah, you can help them this holiday season. So we'll link to that in our show notes. Okay, so instead of doing a queer culture recommendation, um, I was inspired by one of my favorite podcasts, Pop Culture Happy Hour. And every year they do like a best of moment from the year and culture. And then they also do a resolution for the upcoming year. And on their show, the following year, they play the resolution and talk about how they did. So we can always revisit that (laughs) later. (laughs) Um, But first, I wanted to know, Harrow, what was a favorite theatrical moment for you in 2022? I think it has to be... I have two. Okay. One is... Can I do two? Okay. (laughs) Yes. First one is more standard. It was Brian Darcy James as the baker in Into the Woods. Just emotionally destroyed me, especially his no more. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's like one of the performances I'm going to like take to the grave. Um, And then my second, I think has to be, I want to fuck like Romeo and Juliet and just how delightful that was. (laughs) And, uh, just like such so nice to see such an amazing play and just have all the pieces of it really work for me I yeah I just had so much fun at that show nice oh that's great and hopefully like (laughs) that will be another moment that we get to live when I want to fuck like Romeo and Juliet has a further life somewhere yeah I hope 
What about yours? Um, so mine was finally after all of the buildup, um, seeing Strange Loop for the first mm. time. Uh, I feel like the expectations were high after talking to you about it and then also talking to Elle Morgan and <laughs> and talking to Mike, like, you know, talking to the playwright. Sure. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man, I have a lot going, like, ex- excitement. And, um, yeah, met every expectation and exceeded it. Um and I would also say, because I'm going to cheat and have to as well, um, <laughs> and my second moment would be when we went to the Breaking the Binary Theater Festival closing party and we got to meet so many of the artists that we had talked to on the podcast and mm-hmm. new queer artists and just see the community in action. And um, yeah, it just gave me so much like hope and excitement for, for the future as we're looking ahead to theater next year. Uh. Now I want to replace. Now that's okay. Top three. Yes, I agree. <laughs> three is fine. <laughs> I, can I also just share that like I started antidepressants at the beginning of 2022 and then like amped it up in May. And mm-hmm. I saw some shows twice this year, some that I saw at the beginning of the year and some I saw like after the summer and I'm like, Oh, the antidepressants are working because I have such different emotional responses, like and just any emotional response oh, to wow. shows yeah. I saw later in the year. And I just want to like apologize to the shows I saw earlier in the year where I maybe didn't have as much like emotional space to really invest in them. Those shows will forgive you. I know they will. And I also know. it's not something you need to apologize for. Yeah. I wish I could go back and like relive them, but you know, it's the it's the world. Maybe we need to write the company managers and explain the situation so you can get. A... <laughs> You're like, I'll provide data and research to your marketing team of how people on and off antidepressants react to the show. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, three wonderful moments. Uh, <laughs> so, for theater resolution, I feel like we already do a great job with theater, like being theater patrons, <laughs> right? We're, we're good. We're good patrons. We talk about theater. Um, so I'll share mine first. It's after having visited the drama bookshop finally for the first time after the um, remodel. I want to read more plays in 2023 because mm-hmm. I'm always like, oh, I miss that show. And I'm like, you know what I could do? I could just read the script. And I'm, that's not <laughs> going to be the same, but I can still be part of the conversation. Um, so, yes, my my goal is to read some more plays, which will also help with my Goodreads goal. So that's good. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. So I think mine is – oh, I did this a few years ago with books where I spent a whole year where I only read books – uh, written by either people of color and or queer or trans people. And now I just kind of do that all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to try and do that. I think I can't say like all the theater I'm going to see in 2023 will be written and by a person of color or a queer trans person because that's very limiting, sadly. But mm-hmm. I think the theater I'm going to pay for is going to be mm-hmm. that. We'll see. I'm sure there will be exceptions, but that is going to be my goal. Yeah, we'll take free tickets from anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great goal. And yeah. yes, sadly, I think without the pay exception, it would be limiting. So yeah, um, but hopefully not. We'll it's see. hard because I know there's going to – I already have tickets for Late in the Piazza, and that doesn't meet meet that goal, so – but you already yeah. bought it. This is for next it's true. year. true. I bought it in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not starting until January 1st. So. Yeah. Uh, and I want to I want to see Parade if it comes back. Yeah. So see, this is difficult, but I want to like. Maybe someone could buy it for you. <laughs> no, this, this feels <laughs> There like... are workarounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm committing my money to where I want it to go. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, that's a great yeah. goal. So I have... um optimism that we will both meet these goals <laughs> so, I do too. and I hate like resolutions normally but when it's involved with culture I love it so. mm, yeah what's your, what was your book your goodreads goal for this year it was 50 and I think I'm at 42 nice. um but I have three plays to read and I'm in the middle of like three books so I should be good 
Uh, yeah. Amazing. You've been reading so much you? this year. I think mine's 40 and I'm like on track. I'm at like 37 or something. Oh, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. You you won't even have to cram a bunch of graphic novels at the end. You're good. Yeah. (laughs) I try and space the graphic novels out through the year. So I'm like, I stay on track. Yeah. No, that's smart. I also saw that Daniel K. Isaac said that he needs more short recommendations for books Mm. because he's short of his Goodreads goal for the year. (laughs) Maybe we can discuss that with him soon. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> well, well, have a happy holiday, Harrow. I hope it's full of um, good reading and I don't know what else I was going to say. I was going to say theater, family. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dog time, yeah. relaxing, um, yeah. macaroni and cheese because you make the best mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you make the best rest of the meal. <laughs> But the mac and cheese is everyone's favorite. It always goes first. It's the best. So it's true. I did get a one piece to take home this year, which was nice. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and I'm so glad we got uh, to do another season together. And I'm super excited for what, you know, all our guests and show discussions for next year. Yeah, good stuff ahead in season four already. Yeah. And this season started with Paula Vogel. Right. <laughs> And, you know, our last guest was Sis. Oh, my God. So it started with Paula Vogel and ending on Sis. And just that is, you know, this is my dream. I would say two people that we had, like, dreamed about having on the podcast since the very beginning. So, yeah, yeah, grateful to everyone who's been listening. And we hope that, um, you know, keep following along. Let us know what we should see. And I hope you have a good holidays. See you next year. See you next year. Bye, queers. Thanks for listening. If you like, please rate and review us and share us with your friends. So excited to hear your queer culture recommendations or any of your ideas on how we could queer the canon. You can call us. Yes, actually call us and leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251 or send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. <laughs> action of the up first or the year wrap up? Let's do action of the up. Transanna! Transanna! <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.